This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is December 1st, 2022. Water. Every company depends on or benefits from water in some way. The problem, if I may butcher some famous investment advice that may or may not have been said by Mark Twain, they ain't making any more of it. And though the issue of water stress has been somewhat misunderstood and overshadowed, frankly, by concerns about carbon emissions, companies and investors are starting to pay closer attention. So let's dive right in with our first guest. My name is Elchin Mamadov. Um, I'm industry lead for utilities here at MSCI, and I also co-head European ESG and climate research team. At the moment, we have very dry spells across several parts of the world. U.S. West and Southwest uh, apparently has the driest period in 1,200 years. In many parts of Europe, we had severe droughts. In, uh, also, we had major droughts in China, and that has implications for both energy demand, but also for water use in agriculture and, and, and by consumers. So we've had here in the UK, for example, uh, a bunch of utility companies have already imposed a hose pipe ban. So if you want to water your garden, tough luck with that. But of course, the problem of water scarcity, it's much larger than a yard full of dried up hydrangeas. And although it is exacerbated by climate change, investors habitually mischaracterize it as an exclusively environmental issue. Which brings us to our second guest today. I'm Margarita Graybert, and I'm part of the MSCI ESG research team, where I cover three industries specifically, focusing on industrial machinery, industrial conglomerates, and construction materials. Even within our own ESG research team, even though we kind of classify water as a more environmental issue, we do kind of highlight in our assessment of companies and their water use as both a social and, you know, environmental issue. Now... This is important, and it's much more than semantics. The first step towards solving any problem is understanding it as comprehensively as possible. Water extraction has direct implications to ecosystems. If companies are withdrawing too much water and consuming too much water, that will have a direct impact on the environment and the local ecosystems. But it also like, depletes water sources for the communities nearby. And if we focus then also on companies, you know, neglect to clean their water use and aren't participating in the circular economy and kind of releasing the leftovers of their waters to the, you know, community and to the local region, that will also have direct impacts on the health and, you know, prosperity, I guess, of the communities and their ability to also extract and kind of use the local fresh water for even basic needs like hygiene, drinking water, healthcare and schools, all of these types of aspects are reliant on having access to clean, fresh water. Margarita and Elchin both hit this point hard, adding that only 2 or 3% of the world's water is fresh. That means not salt water. And that means that at the very least, we need systems in place to desalinate that water supply. But let's start to wade in deeper. Now that we have a bit of a better understanding of the problem, what can we do? What types of solutions exist? I mean... Everyone would tell you that you should avoid, reuse, and reduce, you know. Um, I'm not sure I got the order right, but the idea is that if you can avoid using water, 
like if you can replace water, let's say in cooling of power stations and, and replace it, let's say with dry air cooling, you can, you can do that. If you can reduce your use of water, let's say in agriculture, just rather than sprinkle water everywhere and then use it willy nilly, maybe there are some companies that not only use the things like drip lines and whatnot, but they also use AI to look at what the forecast is going to be when, what, when the best times to water the, the soil. And, and also they look at how dry the soil is and what time of day is best best to use it, what kind of crops you have. And that's just one example. And finally, reusing the water rather than to dump the water into um, rivers and, and, and oceans, try to recirculate it. So try to uh, clean it up and reuse it many, many times. And is that that recirculate, is that connected with this idea of circular economy? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's much easier to implement this innovation in industrial and commercial sectors than in residential because we, including myself, are quite stubborn. We already have our developed habits and it's really hard to change them. Whereas industrial and commercial sector, they're much more open to using more technology and also ESG is becoming more and more um, important. So there is a lot of um, uh, innovation happening around circular economy. I already mentioned uh, dry air cooling for power plants. But also you can, for certain industrial application, you don't need to have a crystal clear water. You can use brackish water, which is water, let's say, that comes out of, you know, once you've washed your hands or something from your kitchen sink, basically. And also a lot of water companies are now expanding into the biogas so they can produce biomethane rather than, um, you know, using natural gas, you know, so they, as a way to repurpose that sludge that comes out of our toilets they, uh, and, and cow manures and all not, whatnot. They put them into big biodigesters and they produce biogas that way. So squeezing more value out of water is certainly the way to go. And that feeds into the circular economy theme that we're experiencing at the moment. There's that term circular economy again. We've heard it a few times now. So why don't we get it defined? Circular economy is quite a broad term, and oftentimes we think of circular economy when we talk about like recycling, you know, how can we reuse materials, how can we kind of incorporate them back into society and find maybe another purpose for them, rather than having this like linear production approach. And that's kind of what we see with water use as well. It's kind of had like a linear pattern over the last, you know, ever since we've been using water for however many years. You know, we kind of extract it, we consume it, especially at the company level, and then we release it. And I think the circular economy approach will be, you know, focusing on how can we actually, instead of just releasing it and be done with it, kind of incorporate it back into our production. For example, when you think of construction materials, they tend to be quite water intensive and they need a lot of water for their, you know, actual manufacturing process versus, you know, the industrial machinery side of things. So I think in terms of how they would address water stress would vary quite differently from one sector to another. You know, one might focus more on how much water they're extracting, uh, how they can maybe become a bit more water efficient in their process. Could they even recycle some water in the process, like with cement companies? And, you know, I think from the industrial machinery side, a lot of them can actually offer products for the circular economy and, you know, work on technology and products that can address, you know, water sustainability and the circular economy in other sectors. And is that happening? Can you give us an example? 
Yeah, it's definitely happening. So I think, you know, one prime example of a company that I cover is called Xylem, and they're kind of providing the technology and the infrastructure and products for various industries, uh, including like agriculture, that's kind of notorious for being very water intensive. And they're producing, you know, technology that helps these companies and, you know, other industries to address how much water they're using, focusing on products also regarding, you know, water cleaning, water pollution extraction, and things like that. So these types of companies really do help other industries to address their water sustainability issues. In other words, it's really about efficiency and recycling. And that's particularly important for a limited natural resource like water. But what about heavy industrial users? How exactly does water scarcity affect them and, by extension, their shareholders? Are they paying enough attention to the issue? We start with Elchin, who, as he mentioned earlier, covers the heavy water using utilities industry. Utilities is a very interesting industry is that it uses water in many different ways. Um, so we've got water utilities that are in charge of supplying water but also treating water and, and, and sewage works. And, and again, during the drier period, they have to impose the post by bans or restrict the consumption of water in one shape or form. And that negatively impacts their relationship with the customer. For water utilities, they're getting smarter at collaborating across the regions. So let's say if one region has a drier uh, water climate than the other, Maybe they can ship water, but it has its limits. Water is a very energy-intensive process to ship around. But yeah, the utilities are collaborating more and more, applying best practices. They are using leak detection um, equipment that helps them identify and solve those leaks earlier. Again, helps with water preservation. And also water companies also try and help any water-intensive industries like shale gas drilling in treating their water and, and try to recirculate that. So water utilities is one group. The other group is power generation. And within that, you've got two subgroups, you know, so hydropower operators rely on water quite a lot and their production varies a lot, whether depending on whether it's a drier or, or a wet year. And again, we've seen a lot of hydropower operators this year take a huge financial loss because they were generating between 50 and 30% less power than they did a year before because it's so dry. And finally, uh, nuclear and coal-fired power generators, they rely on water for cooling their plants. And again, they're trying to reduce their water use through other uh, more efficient technologies. As Elchin continued, we shifted into why investors are also starting to pay attention. If you're a power utility in, the, in Brazil, and, and suddenly there's a multi-year drought, suddenly you, you, you're much more exposed to that on the earnings front. So investors do track it. So not only do they track how exposed the company is to water stress, but also what the reservoir levels are in different countries. So for example, in China, Yangtze River, I think it's one of the world's largest. Um, the, the last time I checked, the, the water levels were half what it, they are on average they were in, in the past five years. So yeah, it, the data is definitely something that in, investors look at and it does drive the valuations of many of these water companies. Whereas if you're a water utility, you are currently 
incentivized to reduce water that you supply to your customers. So you need, it's very hard, but you need to encourage your customers to use less water. And one way to do that is to install water meters, because if you're just charging a flat price, customers don't have incentive to cut the demand. And also a lot of water utilities are trying to address the fact that when, as we're seeing more extreme weather, we're discharging during the heavy uh, rainfall times, discharging a lot of overflow sewage into the rivers, into the uh, seas and oceans. And, and the regulators are becoming much more tough on it and rightly so. So they're incentivizing water companies to invest in increasing their storage capacity for sludge. And generally, because water is a regulated monopoly, you as you spend more, you tend to earn more. So investors like to see companies which have huge capex plans. Investors are definitely paying attention to water stress, but it's always kind of been in the shadow of climate change. And as we know, climate change has kind of been the focus over the last you know, five, 10 years in terms of companies having to address that issue. But even the principles for responsible investing, you know, PRI, they have also started to address water stress and water use as an issue and try to get more investor involvement in this issue. And I think it definitely needs to become a bit more of a priority because water stress and water use is one of the main culprits of, or at least companies are one of the main culprits of our fresh water use and extraction. And globally, I think only around, you know, 10% or 11% of fresh water consumption is stemming from households and the rest is actually coming from the company or the industry side. We can see, you know, supply chain disruptions for many companies that are reliant on water for their business, such as affecting their transportation of goods or even affecting, you know, nuclear energy production. Beyond that, I think there's also direct impacts to production, like, for example, having higher costs of companies that don't have access to water. And if it's a vital resource for their production, this could be very damaging for the business in the long term. I think another angle to consider that could be important for investors in the coming years is also the kind of regulatory and reputational risks associated to the lack of management of water. And even though kind of water regulations may be not as much in the spotlight as climate change regulation, we kind of see a lot more fines are kind of popping up and a lot more companies are facing litigation and fines regarding their water use. Let's keep going with that. Reporting, disclosure, transparency, choose the term of your choice. Disclosure is definitely a vital step in terms of addressing water sustainability and water use. For example, the CDP is you know a company that focuses on creating disclosure and reaching out to companies to provide disclosure not only on their climate change data, but also on their water use data. And the CDP has seen like a sharp uptake in the last 10 years in, you know, water disclosure as well. They, you know, I think in 2010 had around 176 companies only disclose data to them on water. But now as of 2021, they had 3,300 companies provide disclosure on water. So I think Disclosure is definitely on the rise and we're seeing a sharp uptake in disclosure. But I think what's kind of missing right now in terms of usefulness of data to, you know, investors is more so the mitigation side of things. Like what are companies doing to actually address water stress? So, you know, they're providing information on how much water they're using, their amount of extraction and their amount of withdrawal of water, but less so on kind of what are their mitigation plans how are they going to lower their water consumption? Are they implementing targets? And, you know, looking at our data from the ESG side, we've seen that companies that are constituents of the MSCI Acqui Index, only around 14% of them are actually providing a publicly disclosed target on addressing their water consumption. 
with a target going at least until 2025. And this is significantly lower if we look beyond 2025. I mean, this low, you know, the amount of companies having a target going up until 2050 from the same pool is only, you know, less than 1%. So, and this is quite a stark contrast to, for example, climate change, where we see a lot of companies are providing net zero targets and, you know, other types of climate change targets. So I think if investors kind of pick up on this increasing risk of water stress, then they will also maybe create a further push for companies to implement water mitigation plans and develop their water use strategies. I mentioned near the start of the show that we'd come back to the discussion of the price of water. We are talking, after all, about businesses and investors who are trying to make a profit, so it seems perfectly reasonable to ask, what is this all going to cost me? Elchin? Water is one of the most underpriced commodities that I can think of. It is a commodity because, by and large, yeah, there are different grades of water, but quality of water and whatnot, but it, it is a commodity in my view. Unfortunately, it's very hard to um, ship around, to move around. It's very heavy, you know, and very bulky. So that's why it's unlikely that we're going to see a global benchmarks for water. It, trading water... Um, hasn't worked. And I, I don't think on a large scale it is possible, you know, but as the water scarcity becomes a bigger issue, we are going to see tariffs for water increase. And hopefully as the price of water goes up in different countries and sub-regions within those countries, we're going to see people being forced to use it more. Uh, sparingly. But at the moment, it's underpriced in most parts of the world, unfortunately, just like fossil fuels are currently being also underpriced in many parts of the world. There's so little drinkable water in the world that it's a very scarce commodity that is currently being subsidized by the governments because it's a very social issue, right? So you want to give access to your population to water. And water utilities are one of the sectors that investors like to look at. But the fact is that the water price is expected to go up over time as governments try to use the price as a signal to reduce the water demand and, and make sure we consume it in a more rational and sustainable way. We've talked about some different ways that companies across industries are working to address this vital issue. They're considering how they gain access to it, how they can limit its use, and how they can break that linear process that Margarita mentioned and try and reuse as much as possible. But we also talked about how neither companies or investors are paying as much attention to the issue of water scarcity as they are to other issues, namely carbon emissions. The question now is where do we go from here? Is the road ahead clear or? Is it a washout? We close today with two pretty different perspectives on water and climate change. If we focus on cement companies, I've you know, realized, yes, a lot of them do have maybe climate change targets and carbon targets. But also over the last few years, I kind of noticed that you know, they also have water management strategies. And some of them are actually focusing on addressing water very region specific. You know, they're looking at where are we producing cement? Where are we extracting limestone? How is this impacting the communities near us? Can we actually address our water consumption and maybe work with the local communities more so than at a climate change perspective? You know, so I think this is something that we'll hopefully see 
increase in the next few years is a stronger focus on, on water. And it's definitely been a positive change over the last few years. There's a lot of uh, talk at the moment about climate and energy, but water was kind of taking a backseat. There was this whole crisis in South Africa where everyone was counting to day zero. But as the weather becomes more extreme, as the temperatures are going to rise, we're going to see a lot more cities in the world experiencing that day zero and counting towards that day zero when they're going to run out of water. And there will be much more pressure on politicians to do something about it. And that's where we're going to see chat about, okay, let's price water as it should be. Let's cut the subsidies. Let's encourage customers to reduce consumption, etc. And that will incentivize companies to put more, much more money into ensuring that we have enough supply of water. So it may take a, it may take a crisis, it sounds like absolutely. you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Unfortunately, that's generally what it takes to wake everyone up and it's a global issue. It should be addressed on a global level, just like carbon emissions and climate at the moment. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Elchin and Margarita and to all of you for listening. As you know, we love feedback, so why not leave a rating and let us know what you think? We'll be back next time looking for answers to the questions investors are asking about. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe,